This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intricasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss quality measurement with Dr. Helen Burston, Chief Scientific Officer at the National Quality Forum. Helen, welcome to the program. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here. Dr. Burston's bio is posted on the podcast website. On background, there is universal agreement concerning the importance of effectively and efficiently measuring quality in healthcare. Among other reasons for why there's agreement, despite healthcare spending at nearly three times the OECD median, in May, an article published in the British Medical Journal by Hopkins researchers found medical errors in U.S. hospitals and other healthcare facilities are a leading cause of death in the U.S. How best to measure quality has been, however, another story. Recent research published in Health Affairs found state and regional agencies currently use nearly 1,400 measures of provider quality. Federal agencies use approximately 1,700, and a study of 23 health insurers found 550 measures were in use, and measures uh, largely do not align across payers. This has led MedPAC to state bluntly in its 2014 report to Congress, Medicare's current quality measurement approach has, quote-unquote, gone off the rails. And for the acting CMS Administrator Andy Slavitt to comment earlier this year, quote-unquote, programs designed to improve often distract, done poorly, measures are divorced from how physicians practice, and add to the cynicism that people who build these measurement programs just don't get it. So lots of challenges in quality measurement. So Helen, let me begin by asking you, can you briefly describe the work of the National Quality Forum? Sure, I'd be delighted, David. So NQF is a unique organization in some ways in that it brings together all the stakeholders in healthcare, whether it's patients or purchasers or plans, hospitals, doctors, nurses, all around the table at the same time. So we really view our work as an opportunity to um, identify the kind of vexing issues in healthcare quality um, where we need to reach consensus as well as our core roles of actually evaluating measures to see if they reach a high enough bar for endorsement and also our other core role of select of assisting with the selection of measures for CMS for federal programs. So measurement is very much a core focus of our work, but increasingly now more of this emphasis on understanding these issues of measurement science, these cross-cutting issues that um, we hope will let us move towards the measures that matter more. Okay, thank you. NQF participated in the CMS AHIP American Health Insurance Plans organized a core measure collaborative that began in 2014. Uh, what's your understanding of how this work, i.e. the seven measure sets the collaborative uh, recently announced, uh, will be used going forward? Yeah, so it's a good question, David. I mean, I think it was a really important effort because it brought together the public and the private pairs um, to really begin looking within some areas and say, could you at least agree on which measures you would use for diabetes or heart disease or primary care? So the thinking is that moving forward, the plans will then work to try to align around the measures that were selected, and uh, CMS has indicated a willingness to do the same. So the hope is that we can help it decrease some of the um, overlap and redundancy out there on measures by having this in place. 
Um, also important to note, though, a lot of the measures um, have a pretty strong um, emphasis on claims-based uh, measures, and so I think there's a lot of interest in thinking about what's the future state of measures like this. And this would obviously be a dynamic process going forward where you could bring in uh, measures from other data sources as they become more readily available. So will the collaborative persist or is it continuing to meet? I mean, these seven measure sets, for example, one is ACOs and primary care medical homes. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that's the universe of Nope, they measure are sets. definitely meeting again and uh, that work will, um, will be ongoing. Okay, thank you. Obviously, the provider community and others are busy digesting and preparing comments in response to CMS proposed MACRA, the Medicare Access and Chip Reauthorization Act rule. What's your assessment of how CMS has designed and weighted the four component scores, particularly the uh, quality and perhaps also the resource use score? Uh, you know, I think it's a really complicated law, and I think CMS is uh, trying hard to try to um, actualize what is a pretty complicated piece of legislation. I think the ability to look across those key domains of cost and quality and patient experience and also the emphasis on improvement I think is important. I don't feel strongly about the particular weighting within it, but I think the idea of looking across those domains uh, rather than just one is really important. And the work we've done to date, we've made it clear that we should never look at cost in isolation. It should always be done um, with quality. So I think that's really important. Um, and we've also really emphasized the, the importance of the patient voice. So I think including patient experience in there is also, um, is also an, an important move. Let me ask you, so in the proposed rule, CMS states providers or provider groups will have to report on a minimum of six measures. And then CMS on its own will add, via claims data, three global or population uh, measures. Compared to ACOs or Medicare Insured Savings Program ACOs, which report on 34 measures, do you think six measures in number? Now, granted, CMS is trying to reduce the reporting burden, the number of measures, et cetera, but what's your sense of just crudely the number of measures? And these are measures the providers would choose from a list of actually 300. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, my take on this is it's it's still very early in the development. There, um, you know, there's a lot of work that will follow, um, and I think they're just starting. So I think they're starting with what they have. Um, I don't have any strong feelings about the numbers. I think the more important aspect of MACRA is that it does help tilt us um, as a nation towards um, more of these value-based approaches. So I think broadly, the idea of thinking about what the future will be rather than necessarily how many measures you need for macro right now, but really thinking about how do we plan to ensure we've got the right measures of quality, cost, value, experience to enable us to meet this next challenge of these alternative payment models. And I think it's going to be a pretty big leap. Mm -hmm. Okay. You did mention year-over-year -year improvement, and CMS does include that as a potential mm -hmm. factor in how it scores measures. Um, MA employs a year-over-year -year improvement score component. Um, they won't have it in 17 because there's no year-over-year -year at that point, but they will in subsequent years. Any particular sense of how that can be best structured or um, designed? No, uh, I do, we, we don't usually get into the specifics around uh, payment design. I do think, though, the ability for us to start thinking about how we move forward and look at the trajectory of improvement rather than just an absolute score 
um, I think is an important consideration, particularly for some providers um, who may not perform as well. The opportunity to actually reward their improvement, I think, is a is uh, is really important. Right. This gets at um, is it fair to compare providers working in high versus low socioeconomic status uh, communities? Let, let's let me move on. Speaking of SCS. Yeah. Uh, your organization has done a great deal of work regarding risk-adjusting quality measures for sociodemographic factors. Uh, the forum published a 100-page report, I think it was actually 99 pages, on the topic in August 2014. Uh, how do you see this subject going forward, or what progress do you believe has been made since you published your report uh, on this front? I, you know, I think in many ways it was a seminal report. I think it's something we all talked about for a very long time. Um, and I think the opportunity to actually have um, people really dive deep into the topic, um, lay out what are the the real concerns with adjustments, the concerns with not adjusting, I think um, has added just to open the dialogue and the debate about a topic that's really important that just wasn't talked about. I think where we ultimately landed was a reasonable place, which is that if you're going to include um, any of these uh, socioeconomic or other demographic factors in your model, you've got to have a conceptual basis for it, meaning there's some logical reason why those things are put in your model for an outcome. But also you have to be able to have empiric analyses that show there's an effect. And I think that's where we are as part of our um, process so far. I think there's been a lot of um, work done in the last year to find better variables to get at socioeconomic status uh, in particular. Um, so we've seen the evolution of the indicators that are being used for SES being able to increasingly get down to the census block and nine-digit zip code level. Um, and also, I think, really a growing understanding of how the SES factors interact with the patient versus the hospital, and um, I think we're still in play. We're about halfway through our trial period, um, but at the same time, I think uh, overall the community is learning together, um, and I think we're, we've demonstrated the importance of getting better variables, um, and I think also the importance of really understanding the effects um, of these variables. But at the end of the day, we need to level playing field. And, uh, you know, if that can't be accomplished through uh, adjustment, and that is a possibility, then I think there are other really important opportunities, as we talked about in our report, of, you know, even doing the approach that's currently in legislation on the Hill, which at least compares um, hospitals within uh, like categories of those who have similar proportions of patients who are dual eligible uh, as the comparison group for the, for the program. So, I mean, I think there are many opportunities. There's also ongoing work at ASPE, the Secretary for Planning and Evaluation, of looking at all the different potential approaches through payment, through measurement, um, to look across the array of federal programs and think about how best to address this issue. Um, but the most important thing that's changed, I think, in the last uh, 18 months or so since we did that work, it is now really part of the dialogue. And I think there is a real effort in trying to um, figure out a path forward. I'm glad you mentioned ASPE because their report's um, highly anticipated. It's due yes. this fall, correct? Correct. Okay, one follow-up on this. I'm assuming that the reason we're doing this in part is to reduce disparities in care. If we're um, risk-adjusting better for, mm -hmm. say, low-income patients, then we don't have an adverse selection effect or other problems, and therefore possibly um, lower SES patients get uh, more timely, appropriate care, and that reduces disparities. Is that a logical 
assumption or conclusion? I think that's that, that's one piece of it. I think that you know we, we, we certainly want to ensure people have access. And so if we are disproportionately hurting those with a safety net, um, that's not the intent. Um, and so the question is, what's the best mechanism to ensure that they have that information? Um, at the same time, though, one of the other pieces of the recommendation we put forward is we do recognize the concerns that were raised, that if you adjust for these variables, essentially uh, you have the potential for masking the, the, the disparities that may be present. Um, and so one of the things we've required as part of the work um, we're doing is that if a measure is adjusted for socio-demographic status, they have to provide the specifications that allow you to also stratify the measure so you can see what those differences are while creating that level playing field. Okay, thank you. You did mention uh, patient-reported outcomes. Mm -hmm. This is the uh, the PRIMS and PROMS issue or question. So these would be patient-reported experience measures and patient-reported outcome measures. In performance measurement, you frequently hear the phrase, it's not what's the matter with the patient, it's what matters to the patient. And so right. this gets at these measures. Um, and this also addresses this issue of uh, patient-centeredness uh, uh, care or patient-centered care. What progress uh, from where you sit are we making in developing measures that assess what matters to the patient? I think we're making huge progress. I think this has probably been the biggest shift I've seen in the last couple of years is a real embrace that the patient voice is important and needs to be part of the fabric of what we're doing in terms of measurement and improvement. Uh, we did some work a couple of years back now uh, funded by the federal government where we really went through the process of thinking about what would it take to develop a performance measure based on a patient report and outcome measure. And since then, we've seen real movement. We've seen many more of these measures submitted to us through the NQF uh, evaluation endorsement process. Um, we also have a new initiative called the NQF Measure Incubator, where we are trying to go out there and facilitate gap filling of some key areas that um, have remained unfilled for a while. And I'll tell you, one of the initial um, highest points of interest has been patient report outcome measures. So we're doing work currently with patients like me, uh, a group in Cambridge where we're um, able to think about how we can incorporate the patient voice all the way through the process. We've got a couple of uh, incubator projects focused on a couple of key conditions such as patient report outcomes in, in COPD. Um, and, uh, you know, in my discussions with many of the specialty societies, and uh, surgeons and others, this whole area is one that um, I think is especially exciting because it resonates with patients, certainly, um, but it also resonates with clinicians. I think there's something really remarkable about seeing the percent of improvement, for example, um, something we don't always get to see as a result of the care we've provided. So I think we're trying to figure out where is that sweet spot of ensuring the voice of the patient is included. It's not overdone, obviously. We don't want to tax patients to have them be the, the source of everything. But there are many things for which you're only going to get that information directly from the voice of the patient, like are you in pain? Are you able to walk? Are you able to function um, in the way that you used to? Those are the kinds of things that you cannot construct measures that are going to bring that forward in any way besides um, directly asking patients. So I've seen a huge uptake in this. It's also a very exciting international initiative, the International Collaboration for Health Outcomes Measurement, or ICHOM, um, recently attended their meeting in London, and there are over 800 people from 35 countries with a huge interest in patient outcomes, and in particular, patient-reported outcomes. 
So I think this is really on the map now, and I think we're going to see even more traction in the years to come as it gets easier to collect these data from patients. I'm glad uh, you mentioned iChum. I, I may make a point or may ask a question about that, but first, so this is the needs, preferences, and values of patients and honoring or recognizing. Um, let me push you on this and ask about measures as it relates to non-clinical but social service reports. You're seeing mm -hmm. equal or uh, at least some interest in sort of that variation of, of patient-reported uh, outcomes? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we're actually um, doing some work uh, right now at developing a, a framework and an approach around home and community-based services, those non-clinical services. And in fact, one of the early efforts we've seen um, is measurement around a patient-reported outcome for the home and community-based services, uh, services overall. So I think that's happening, too. I mean, again, it's been hard for people to even begin wrapping their head around measurement in that space. But um, obviously, for many of these patients for whom um, independence is critical, having an opportunity to take care of yourself but have the assistance you need, again, hard to imagine being able to do that without hearing directly from the voice of the patient and their caregiver, I'd add. You mentioned, so back to this, this outcome measurement uh, uh, effort overseas, this was um, started in part by uh, Michael Porter's work right. at, at uh, your old uh, stomping grounds, Harvard. Um, can you say more about, other than interest in their outcome measurement development, they're uh, working through major disease conditions, they're, if you go to their website, they show they're 30, 40 percent yep. there. In, in, in identifying these outcome measures. What, what will be the relationship uh, between their work and NQF? Yeah, so we've, uh, it's a great question, and we are actively working um, and collaborating to think about how we can um, bring this really remarkable international model to the U.S. Um, and what will it take to build it further into the, the work that we all do? So we've got ongoing conversations. You know, some of these, um, Indicators are wonderful, but they need a bit more specificity around them to make them workable. I mean, what do you do with missing data? What's the appropriate sample size for some of these um, outcome measures? So there's some work to do there, but I think there's a great deal of excitement as well about the potential of having international indicators for which we can compare ourselves. Um, and there are some leading health systems in the U.S. who are already quite engaged in these efforts. Um, and so I think there are some leading uh, places that are already, um, I think, will help us uh, see how these get activated. And it was also just very gratifying as we think about, you know, your comments earlier about, about MACRA. It was really interesting to hear from people in other countries that have very different setups of their healthcare system, but how they have been able to um, consider how these patient report outcomes fit into the, the model of how um, doctors and hospitals and others are paid. Okay, thank you. So, that leads me to my final question, and that's this issue of correlating quality with value. Uh -huh. um, also an interest, has been an interest for several years of having mentioned uh, Michael Porter. So mm -hmm. right now we have uh, CMS financially, financially rewarding providers uh, based on spending efficiency in isolation uh, to how they're performing on quality. We know in the MSSP program that the 14 shared savings ACOs, or those that earn shared savings, actually had a slightly lower mean quality score than the ACOs that performed uh, the worst relative to uh, their benchmark. Um, so in 
defining value as outcomes over spending, um, we can drive improvement because it's not just the two quality and or resource use in isolation. What's your sense of how we're progressing in measuring uh, value as this enumerator denominator, particularly since, of course, value is the intent of MACRA and the Secretary uh, last January 15 said we're going to increasingly move percents of fee-for-service reimbursement to quality or value. Yeah, well, certainly what we've seen so far is that CMA has been meeting or exceeding their, their time targets and percent targets for moving to the percentage of payments tied, fee-for-service payments tied to quality, which I believe is upwards of 80% now. Um, and CMS recently announced that they already have um, have um, reached their 30% alternative payment model threshold for 2016. 16, right. Right. So I think we are on that path. I think one of the issues is going to be, do we have what we need to take that next leap? Um, and so I think this whole issue of how we link cost and quality um, is going to be um, even more important. And you're right, these issues of looking at cost alone is never um, preferred. Um, and we actually just, um, we did some work a couple years ago, uh, funded by the Robert Johnson Foundation. We laid out um, some different approaches you could take to linking cost and quality. And actually the paper was just published um, at the end of May on medical care research and review. Um, but it does, you know, there, there are some really interesting questions we need to grapple with. For example, do you only look at costs once you've reached a threshold of quality? Do you look at them side by side? Um, how do you begin doing that? And then if we really are we're trying to get at value, we want to ensure we've got the right outcomes, which ideally would be patient-centered outcomes over an episode of care and the relationship to the outcomes over that same episode of care. Um, those are a lot of words, and a lot of those we can't fill in very easily right now. Um, so definitely a work in progress, but I think that um, we're starting to see more standardized measures of cost. We're starting to see many more measures of outcomes, um, and we're starting to see a real emphasis in looking at care longitudinally across settings rather than uh, just you know one at a time. So it would logically bring us to a very different place. We're much more interested in things like uh, functional status, quality of life, shared decision-making, cost, safety, um, and perhaps away from some of the more process-oriented uh, measurements that were really tied to specific settings or specific providers. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. for. I'll, I'll be sure to look at this uh, medical, uh, medical care uh, article. Very interesting. Thanks for noting it. But okay. we're uh, out of time, sadly. So, Helen, I am genuinely appreciate for this whirlwind discussion on quality measures. So thank you again. My pleasure. Take care. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.